0: And we're at a moment where sort of, all all contradictions are made. Right? Byproduct of the crisis of contemporary capitalism, we find ourselves invisible in class politics.
1: Classic fucking boomer. Only left maintain the relations of neoliberalism. No! Capital! No! Capital! No! Capital! No! 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 I do you know, international, but we're from cameras. Right. do and we're back We've plenty to talk about on this episode of doll capital my name's ben and i'm with my partner in podcasting crime jacob how are you today jacob good mate how are you fantastic we are in sunny belconnen the um strange weather we're having in canberra of late has uh dissipated the sun is out it feels like spring the cockatoos are out you'll probably hear them in the background but um keeping us company it's a lovely sunny afternoon so look today we are going to talk about more lovely things we're rather excited uh To been following some of the interesting and inspiring news coming out of the United States of all places in terms of industrial struggle. Um, What we're talking about is the revenge of essential workers, and it's far more interesting than what some pundits have been talking about the great resignation um, that has been sweeping the U.S. and other uh, northern hemisphere countries. So that's on. But first. Look, if you like this show, we're on Patreon. This show wouldn't be possible without our patrons and supporters. You can donate to us at www.patreon.com that's forward slash Doh Capital. That's D-O-H-K-A-P-I-T-A-L. And uh, leave a review uh, on your preferred podcast app would be the other thing to do Um, thank you to our supporters who have helped us so far uh, to purchase a new microphone that's been great and we're keen to further update more of our equipment and be able to allocate more time to more recording we're up to one episode a month which is really good and we want to keep that going with more content coming along this summer Uh, we're recording today on Ngunnawal
0: Country so we'd like to acknowledge the ongoing struggles of Indigenous people in Australia and their struggle against dispossession and extend our respect to elders past, present and emerging.
1: Okay. Now, there's a very big strike going on in the US in the healthcare sector uh, yeah. and it is part of a, a wave. What's what's going on?
0: Yeah. So you would have seen, uh, dear listener or you, Ben, you might have seen people talking about Striketober. Um, that's like the, the moniker that's being given to it. Uh, think basically what's going on is coming out, particularly out of the pandemic, um, we've got uh, an incredibly tight labor market in the US, which has given rise to the, yeah, like you you mentioned in the intro, this term, the great resignation, um, which is a part of it, sure. Uh, But uh, there's also a ton of organizing going on. So um, there is, at the moment, uh, big negotiations happening uh, between healthcare workers uh, and uh, a massive. It's, you know, it's, it's sort of a non-profit healthcare consortium called Kaiser Permanente, but it kind of trades on this non-profit idea, but really it's a consortium of for-profit entities and healthcare providers. It extracts billions of dollars out of the healthcare system and out of patients and out of um, healthcare workers. Yeah. So we've got... Um, 50,000 workers affected uh, by these current negotiations and I think um, maybe twenty or 30,000 of them are union and, are, and are, um, they voted a couple of weeks ago to um, authorize strike action uh, and then the negotiations have been going right up to the precipice um, we still don't know uh, what's going to happen but um, there's a very, very real potential for a strike. And just um, a couple of days ago, we we're recording this on the 16th. So latest news is that there's a third offer that's come down. Um, so there's a tentative agreement that's been struck between the union's bargaining team and um, Kaiser Permanente. Um, but basically, the the story is kind of the same across the board. This also goes for, for example, um, auto manufacturing workers uh, working for John Deere, uh, people who have doing you know essential work either in you know health services in manufacturing in um transportation who have been told all the way through the pandemic you're essential workers um we need you to keep working we need you to you know um work unpaid overtime we might even need you to take a pay cut Mm -hmm. okay we need you to accept poorer conditions because everyone's everyone's banding together we're going to get through this uh pandemic together and then of course um as soon as like everybody's out of the woods and their employers by the way have turned unprecedented profits mm-hmm. during 2020 2021 they're turning around and saying actually time for to renegotiate re- re- your contracts um you're going to be taking a pay cut uh or uh worse conditions um maybe worse benefits um the all that rhetoric around essential workers which was basically used to keep the workforce mobilized i would say um basically a sort of kind of moral blackmail if you like not that people were ever really planning on stopping doing what they were doing through the pandemic you know mm. everybody wants to keep working everybody wants to keep making their wages right but there was still this pr campaign pivoting on the term essential worker yeah um based that, that was you know intending to keep people working yeah, yeah. so yeah we've seen uh like i mentioned uh, uh manufacturing workers at john deere like i mentioned, you know, Kaiser permanente there's actually um hundreds of different um small uh and medium you know union locals especially in the health sector that are either have authorized strikes or are on strike at the moment um, mm-hmm. some estimates actually go as high as 100,000 workers currently on strike uh in the u.s but the thing is i suppose you know we talk about uh the australian labor movement being quite disconnected at times and and kind of having too much overlapping coverage and there are f- sort of fights over territory, in the US, it's much worse. You've got people like Jonah Furman, who um, is a reporter at Labor Notes and who um, publishes the um, very good Who Gets the Bird newsletter on um, US um, labor happenings, um, basically saying there are are too many strikes, trying to um, keep track of all of them is virtually impossible. So let me give you a quick idea of, um, so this is in the latest um, edition of Who Gets the Bird by Jonah Furman, which I recommend that you all check out. We've got, as we mentioned, John Deere. We've got 50,000 workers affected with Kaiser Permanente. Operating Engineers Local 39, Uh, strike just settled. We've got the Independent Guild of... Professional pharmacists planning a strike for a week starting Monday. So that means an extra 20,000 Kaiser-employed pharmacists in Northern California will be on strike. We've got SEIU UHW and California nurses uh, planning to strike this week in in sympathy with the operating engineers. Uh, We've got uh, 1,000 hospital workers at Cabell Hospital in Huntington, West Virginia, on strike. Uh, 1,199 workers in West Virginia, Kentucky, and Ohio. Um, We've got 350 SEIU UHW hospital workers at Sato in Antioch, California. Five-day strike there. 2,200 members of Michigan Nurses Association uh, taking strike a strike authorization vote this week. We've got probably an end to a strike in Worcester, Massachusetts. Uh, we've got health workers in New England, in Connecticut. Uh, In St. Louis. You will also probably have read about this, uh, the big sort of IATSI negotiation. So, this is um, workers in the film and television industry, Mm -hmm. um, crew, you know, um, production crew workers. Um, And of course, that uh, has been particularly in the news because there was this tragic shooting on set of this um, Alec Baldwin movie, American Rust, where uh, there there, there were lots of issues on the set Mm -hmm. um, and you had um, union crew making complaints and then eventually walking off. And then being replaced by production with non-union workers, so they basically got a bunch of film school uh, students in um, to replace about half the crew. Oh god! And then a couple of days later, of course, there's this notorious yeah, uh, shooting yeah. um, where um, Alec Baldwin fired a, a loaded pistol <laughs> um, on the set, <laughs> killing just, the um, director of photography, which it's is horrible. really terrible. Yeah. But it really underscores how these are dangerous work sites. Yeah. Um, behind all of the glitz and glamour of you know uh, of the culture industry. It's and not just firearms on sets, you know. Yeah. There's like a lot of heavy machinery. Um, there are um, dangerous chemicals, particularly involved in pyrotechnics and set building, mm. props, and things like that. Yep. You know, like um, safety and working
1: conditions are a serious, um, serious question in, I, in the in showbiz. I, mean, I guess the the thing about the current strike wave, if you like, that's mm. that's gripping the US. The other thing for an Australian audience I might not be so aware. It there's a there's a degree of brutality that goes on with US industrial strife that that Mm. we would not be all that familiar with. For I think in Australia, you know, like people will talk about the MUA dispute and yes there was a lockout. And we have had a number of lockouts in in recent history. The the differences in the US, you, you look at the articles are talking about the, the evolving of the strike and what it what it's about. The action taken by the employees is really um, horrific. Yep. And, um, uh, Kaiser Permanente, their position till recently was literally a 1% pay rise a year for three years, mm. sounding like the um, Federal Public Service there, yeah. actually, funny enough, um, and bringing in a scab workforce mm. who were, they were prepared to pay them like three or four times norm, the what the yep. union's um, workforce was going to pay oh, uh, yeah. was paid uh, seen couple- exactly that with
0: um, j- with John Deere right yeah, um, so, yeah I just- um, and, and with uh, yeah uh, so one of the interesting sort of strike-breaking tactics uh, John Deere have taken which has been sort of lampooned a bit online um, yeah. is that they brought their salaried workers in yeah, um, yeah. To, to operate the, the warehouses right yeah. so on the first day of the, they call it their um a uh, customer service continuation plan, um, <laughs> and uh, they were bring, bringing in office workers, salaried office workers who are non-union, to drive forklifts and operate heavy machinery in these in these warehouses, and like we're talking about the construction of like. Giant mega giant. tractors that cost yeah. hundreds of thousands of, uh, thousands of dollars. This is not your yeah. lawnmower, right? No. These are these are like giant combine harvesters um, that are involved in like heavy mass agriculture. Yeah. Um, that like you know so Big,
1: bigger than anything. If you ever go down to the. Um the 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 what is it the field day down at Maran um, Bateman? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the kind of thing. That <laughs> you'll, you'll see the, um,
0: the, the collector pumpkin festival. Yeah, no. Oh, these things are huge. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Serious serious machinery, and that gives you, you know, a sense of the supply chain that these workers work within, and how much really how much leverage they've got mm. um, in these negotiations, because that's like you know that's this, this is the uh, the supply chain that it, that leads to yeah. the production of the kind of agriculture that allows the American consumer yeah. to have their. Um, you know, cheap, um, high-fructose corn syrup-based meals and yeah. um, and all of this. So, uh, half a million um, dollar machine. Yeah, it's, what I read. yeah. it's massive, right? yeah. Um, Yes, friends, you've just heard the royalty-free harp glissando, which can only mean one thing. I'm here from the edit bay to tell you about something that was either incorrect or has um, become outdated since we recorded it. In this case, I'm very, very happy to tell you that the um, John Deere strike that we, we mentioned in this episode um, that has lasted for five weeks has been settled. So this is coming once again from Jonah Furman and his very good uh, weekly newsletter, Who Gets the Bird, which I recommend that you check out if you want to keep up to date with what's going on with uh, US labor. The John Deere workers are getting a 10% raise straight away, which is fantastic. And the uh, proposed um, tier of pensionless new hires from the date of signing that contract is gone. That's been scrapped. So um, congratulations to those workers on fighting back against the attempt to divide them. Uh, you also, as far as tactics go, like with the Kellogg strikes is one I, that I hadn't mentioned, but, um, you know, we've got Kellogg's workers uh, at plants in several states in the US on strike. And Kellogg's is actually taking legal action against those uh, workers for picketing. And unfortunately, in the state of Omaha, they've got the law on their side. Uh, wow. They'll probably be able to take successful legal action. Um, but they're saying uh, they, uh, this is uh, according to Jonah Ferman again that the company wants them to be able to communicate their position without having any influence on production, uh, which is
1: uh, <laughs> kind it's of called getting rid of the yeah. picket. Yes. Yeah, it's yes. called yeah. But I, but I guess that's the, that's that's kind of I guess for our listeners just highlighting that it's it's a really rough and tumble mm-hmm. uh, industrial uh, landscape. Well, when industrial action does finally happen. In the Australian context, given it's so um, narrowly legally only able to do it uh, in the context of enterprise bargaining, it's it's so um, like under the law. It's well on the one hand, it's like oh, it's great that no one's you know no one could be um, sacked for going on strike. Um, yeah, we've had problems with picketing. Like they've they've they have made picketing an illegal activity in, in Australia. They they've had sometimes a community. Um, protest was used as a euphemism for, yeah. for things like that, which has been pretty successful uh, was, in recent
0: cases. Yeah, um, in in manufacturing, food yeah. manufacturing
1: and things in but, and Australia. And look, that's that's all good, but we, I don't think we've sort of see that level of um, intimidation and, and really zero sum game mm. stuff um, played. The use of the state, use of um, security forces, as as well as just to, just the you know take it or leave it so yeah. the attitude of employers has been quite amazing. And that brings us back to like, why has this? I mean, okay, we've mentioned COVID being. Obviously, something like that's been there in the background. But what has caused the the current strike wave? Do you think, Jacob?
0: Yeah. So I think there's a couple of things that we 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 have like sort of touched on. So it's certainly true that there's a re- very really tight labor market in the U.S. And so especially for um, industries like uh, manufacturing, like even health work. And I think much more importantly, uh, as relates to this idea of the Great Resignation mm-hmm. in hospitality and food service, which all of these are really jobs where the labour is quite portable, um, and you can yep. you can pick up and, and go to get a job down the road, um, and so that's giving people a lot of leverage. But the disorganisation of a lot of these industries means that people are doing that before they organise and go on strike. Yep. So yeah, like um, we're seeing a strike wave. Um, I think it's been slightly overplayed just how big it is. You know, it's it's big and it's bigger than certainly a lot more strike action than there was in the last few years right that's demonstrated by this who gets the bird report that I was reading out before but um, a lot of it is kind of being um, that discontent Mm. uh, especially in abusive workplaces you know you've got for example um, fast food workers um, McDonald's workers who have been um, organized initially through the fight for 15 minimum wage campaign now are on strike uh, in a lot of states in the US over sexual harassment in their workplaces so Um, One of the other big factors is um, abusive um, workplaces where people aren't protected, they're they're being sexually harassed either by management or sexual harassment by patrons is being overlooked by management who... Mm prefer to look the other way because it keeps customers happier.
1: We are talking about a culture that sold us this this rubbish lie that occasionally gets thrown at service workers here that the is always right, yeah, which exactly. is like, yeah. uh, no, yeah. <laughs> the is never always right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. So yeah. there's that. Um, and then, of course, yeah, there's this idea that, that has come up uh, most poignantly in the John Deere strike, mm. this um, sign held up by a picketer that said, deemed essential in 2020, Prove it in 2021, which yep. I think perfectly encapsulates this idea. Yep. So uh, we've talked about it on the podcast a little yeah. while ago, um, probably like right back at the start when yeah, we yeah. started the podcast amidst the pandemic. Yep. Um was like, what's going to happen uh, when we start, when management really, uh, as well as um, governments mm. uh, and politicians start... Um, labelling workers as essential workers in order to really induce them to accept poorer working conditions because of the pandemic. Mm. That's really what it's always been about, right? And also
1: those essential workers being put on the front line of, um, well, the disease. Absolutely, yeah. Being put on the front line of the virus and um, that most risk of of becoming ill and sick and financially, um, you know, Damaged as a result yeah. of being stood down, or like, I look in some countries have been better at other at, at mm. fallow or, or or at um standing people down at, with pay and the like. But I mean, I myself like uh, work as a, as a service worker. Um, many companies like with doing disaster leave, for example, mm. um, if you the recent um, lockdowns, for example, if you were stood down because someone uh, contracted and you were told, okay, you have to stay home for 14 days and do X number of tests and all the rest of it, um, the leave they give you is is your base base rate of pay. So for a lot of mm-hmm. service workers who rely on their penalties, yeah, um, you know, particularly penalties for evening work or for weekend work, yeah, uh, not to mention whatever allowances they get, it's like, well, you've just gone and you know, you've stood me down. That's nice with uh, pay but mm-hmm. the pay, is, but it's pay I'm card. taking a pay card yep. like, you know? and that goes down to that perennial problem the base rate of pay being so low mm-hmm. and I think that's something an Australian audience could probably understand in terms of what you know it is worse in the United States in terms of the, the base rate of pay and there's been that campaign around mm-hmm. the you know strike for 15 and yep. and there's been a similar thing in the UK over getting the um, I think it's to get it to 10 pound. Um, yeah, right, memory. something yeah. like that. Yeah. So that's – I mean, that's been simmering on for a couple of years now. But I guess what you're saying before, Jake, and I'll flip back to it, the, I was struck by, like, yeah, it's significant that it's happening now, I think, these mm. the, the strikes because it just points to an, – and there's an opportunity there for Labor to have a have a go yep. that hasn't been there necessarily in the past Yeah, because it's just been so stark yep. for, for people. Now it's like, you know, actually – Plus, plus to mention of the uh, the, uh, the being told that you're so essential and then being treated the other way. Um, I guess what, getting that political consciousness of people going, well, you said I'm special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And The other common factor amongst um, all of these industries, um, mm. these big employers especially, is that their profits are bigger than they've ever been. Yeah. So yeah. Kaiser Permanente, yeah. record profits. John yep. Deere, record profits. Yeah. Um, in the case of uh, the uh, mine workers um, who are, Demonstrated against BlackRock, the private equity firm that has um, taken over the mines, um, coal mines, in, in a lot of the coal mines in the US. Um, same thing. Yep. Um, these companies are posting record profits. They are substantially increasing dividends to their shareholders, and they're giving huge bonuses and raises to their executives. Yep. Uh, and at the same time, they're turning around to these workers who are being told that they're essential and saying, well... You know, times are tough we're going to have to give you a pay cut or you know um, or um, which we'll get to um, I think next Um, uh, you know we'll give you a nice raise but you're going to have to agree um, for us to cut the pay for the next lot of workers that come in everyone that we hire after this point yeah and that's that's one of the
1: I thought that was an interesting that experience there of using such a stark um, uh, wedge on the workforce um, to in bargaining basically so we'll grandfather you Mm-hmm. Um, we'd call it grandfathering astray. And it's, it's a terrible thing. Where yep. like you say, one set of workers get to enjoy a certain condition. Yep. Uh, and the, the newer workers, the workplace get, you know, well, they get they get stuffed, mm. really. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so let's so, move on to this. So,
0: yeah. um, if you've been following any of the coverage, especially of the John Deere strike of the Cosa Permanente uh, negotiations, uh, which now looks like maybe not lead up to a strike, Um, you would have seen this term um, two-tier wage system, something like that. So two-tier is what they're calling it um, usually in the States. So in the case of John Deere, um, they had a a bargaining agreement in 97, um, which basically uh, halved or significantly cut pensions for everybody that was hired after that point. Um, And then there was a a later, another later tier um, that was brought in as well that uh, reduced the rate of pay for new hires after that point. Um, sometime in the sort of uh, mid '90s, um, um, and now John Deere were trying to once again introduce another tier to say that everyone hired after now will get no pension. We'll just cut the pension altogether. Um, and of course, like you know, they don't have nearly as much of a um, social security system for the elderly for retirees in the US like we've got in Australia, mm. which itself is under attack. But we've got it. Um, and so people tend to rely really heavily on their employer-based uh, um, pension schemes. Um, yep. Or at least that was how Labor was able to build a significant amount of wealth, um, in intergenerational wealth, for the first time in the sort of mid-20th century. Um, and then the project, of, of course, big part of the neoliberal project has been since the 70s to dismantle that, um, that whole pension system um, in favor of a kind of user-pays... Um, self-funded retirement system um, which is a good way to basically get a huge uh, asset draw off the balance sheets of big companies mm. um, makes them more liquid and it means that they you know are able to make easier short-term decisions um, but it removes a big part of the sort of social contracts basically Yeah. Um, especially in work like um, heavy manufacturing where people are doing repetitive labor and damaging their bodies pretty seriously healthcare as well yep. like a lot of um really um like a lot of sort of knee and back stress things like that um neck stress like people end up with with workplace injuries over the long term and they need to be looked after um yep. uh, but yeah so back to this two tier system you know like you said it's primarily a way to dangle improvements in wages and conditions um and pensions for the current workforce and then trick them into consenting to a division of their own workforce into the future. So, mm. so it's sort of like these employees are making a sort of investment, you know, where they're they're saying, yeah, yeah, we'll give you we'll give you a five percent raise. How about that? Um, which is probably more than any of these workers have seen in decades, right? Uh, but all, and all you have to agree is that the next the next chump that comes in, uh, they don't get the pension and they don't get this raise.
1: Yeah, they're, they're um, going to get like thirty nine percent less.
0: Yeah, yeah, than, than what you currently yeah. get. Like, um, yeah. And the same thing was going on with the the Kaiser Permanente negotiations. They were bringing in um, very similar things. So, yeah, I wanted to just talk about this as as an interesting tactic and a really important part of of union busting as a kind of medium to long-term strategy. The result, of course, is that you get a huge amount of resentment um, between union workers um, because you'll have union workers who join and who are forced onto the worst contract that's subsequent to this agreement. Um, And then you get issues where people are saying, okay, but... Like you know, Johnny's getting paid more than me. How come uh, I get this harder work, or th- I have to do this job, you know, in the hospital or um, in the John Deere factory? What, he gets paid more. He should do the less less pleasant work, or like he gets. Oh, I get paid more. I should be mm-hmm. um, in, a, in I should be senior, you know, in authority or whatever. It's a strategy to divide people, um, to get them at each other's throats, and to stop further further action. Yep. And so it's really really good. Um, that we've seen in both cases, it's really been the the main demand um, for the workers is to be to fight these two-tier systems. And in fact, when the second vote came around for the John Deere strike, the second vote on their um, tentative agreement that the bargaining team had struck, the bargaining team expected the workers to vote it up. And in fact, they came back and voted no, 55 to 45. So it was, it was closer than the original no vote. But they voted no on the basis that, um, okay, so that they've... Um, stopped trying to introduce the new tiered system where people after um, this current contract won't get the pension. But what they actually did was they, uh, the workers were arguing to abolish the old tier system. Okay. So that's where where, where they're at now. So yeah. basically um, I think the latest news is that we know that um, John Deere and Kaiser have both uh, put new offers forwards, but uh, we, we don't have the details of those yet at the time of recording. Uh, but it, looks like in both cases um they have at least been able to completely defeat uh the proposed new tiered systems uh which is really fantastic we love to see
1: and yeah no i, I think look, it's a big win yeah. um that that's well, if, if they do get that um those final outcomes are definitely big wins the i guess it gets into sort of why it's an important development over there and the example it provides for um elsewhere but i think for australia um You just reminded me of a whole bunch of things that have gone on in the last 30-odd years. Like, the the worst example, some of the worst examples we saw under the Howard government was the introduction of individual contracts. Mm. And those what were called Australian Workplace Agreements or AWAs. the acronym was so hated that, um, you know, no one's touched it. (laughs) with a large pole ever since AWAs. But we still, you know, thanks, Julia, um, due to a uh, legal trick, still have um, individual contracts. They're just called legal contracts. But anyway, I I can go down to that rabbit warren, but I'm not. But the way AWAs were were used was a way to, uh, on the one hand, with enterprise bargaining... Have a very, rather flawed system that we um, that was given provided to us by the Keating government. The AWAs came in. Uh, on the one hand, the employers wouldn't wouldn't negotiate um, an enterprise agreement, while at the same time they would dangle to workers, "Hey, you sign up to AWA, sure, I'll give you a pay rise, I'll pay you more, right?" Um, the way the way the employees um, did it was they they'd, they'd refuse to negotiate with the union, and while at the same time offer AWAs, and in the federal public service, the the more some of the more disgusting practices were, literally of a new starter being told that they had to sign an AWA, yep. and only existing uh, workers, existing employees could stay on the enterprise agreement. So you had this situation where the federal Department of Employment, um, or you know, it's had different names over 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 the years, um, where there was by the time Howard government left, there were still Ten percent of the workforce that were on the enterprise agreement, everyone else was ninety percent were on AWAs, yep. uh, and the union membership, funnily enough, was probably barely ten percent. Mm. Um, yeah, I was on the bar, anyway. I don't need to talk about the history I was involved in, but I remember that the the data that came through in terms of fixing the mess that was um, the the state never, you know, it's only one step forward, really still still a total mess then. But that divide and rule stuff meant that when bargaining happened with the change of industrial policies in Australia in two thousand and seven, this white collar example meant that in the mega department called Department of Employment, Education, Workplace Relations, there came in that all the former industrial relations people, of the two and a half, odd thousand people that were on AWAs from there, they like at least ninety percent of them were getting paid at least twenty to twenty five percent less. Mm. Than people on the end, like like it was, it was just absolutely stark. The exploitation was amazing. So people on the enterprise agreements hadn't had wage rises for years and years. While oh, people in AWAs might have thought they were getting a better deal, though initially they were, there was a minority getting oh great deals. Uh, but then as it went on, uh, no, like, yeah, you know their pay was actually effectively being cut. That's one example of how that's been played out. And in, in that Australia. in
0: that case, did you observe like? Um, Building resentment and division yeah. amongst the work that workforce.
1: Yes. No, yeah. it was absolutely. It was huge. It yeah. was rife, and and it explains why that particular uh, industrial campaign, which was a big win for the community and public sector union at the time, um, you know, look, there were wage rises over three years for. Um, uh, some people uh, walked away of 27 percent wage rises mm-hmm. over three, like a massive win, massive white pay rises, partly it was in terms of the adjustments to to get a uh, a new pay spine, uh, and it just brought up a whole lot of people up to up, up to a you know equal equal work for equal value type yeah. thing, uh, and that was fantastic. Now, unfortunately, as the years went on, um, the the mess that that government made, and then the Rudd. Right, um, Gillard government's failure to actually address equal work for equal pay in the public sector um, meant that you know it was the unfinished business, and we yep. still still you know the failure of the CPSU on the one hand, and uh, a really belligerent you know, aggressive employer right now in the federal public sector means that um, you know they've they've had um, page freezes for for Yonks yep. and they still have this sort of ridiculousness of um, on one hand people are employed by the Australian government claiming. Um, dictating how bargaining happens while the so-called employers of the workers that's the individual agencies claiming that are um no no we we will we, we'll bargain in good faith but we have to follow this thing yeah so it's a real puppet master type thing that goes on with that but that's that's part of that yeah. game and that's i think there's this parallels there thinking about the modern example of, mm-hmm. you know, in australia where that divide and rule of, of workforce yeah. is done and more starkly the superannuation stuff so mm-hmm. awas is one part of it um to the disgrace of the act government big a to stanhope i'm a big fan Uh, stand out back in the early thousands Um, they decided that they could legally because they could legally get away with it they did so ACT public sector workers knew they grandfathered the people on the old um, the old super payment 15.4 and they grandfathered that for the existing workforce Mm -hmm. so it was a 15.4% payment to your your fortnightly salary great great super excellent good so they should get it right Um, they grandfathered it and new starters were dropped to the legislative minimum which is 9%. Right? right? Yep. Never got fixed. Still isn't getting fixed. And it's to a great disgrace of uh, former Labor leaders and still some sitting around and, you know, some interesting elected positions around the place that get mm. this going on. Let alone the fact that, or let alone, you know, going down the rabbit hole of, you know, what industrial strategy, well, there isn't an industrial strategy from um, unions to actually tackle, um, you know, mm. uh, that inequity in, in um, yes. super savings, you know. Um, for people and they you know, for a younger and newer generation of workers so those are some examples yeah there. those are great examples of um,
0: of cases which are more rare in Australia of permanent workforces being being divided uh, in terms of their pay and their benefits and things but uh, I think much more common here um, than it is in the us is that you get this key division between um, permanent and casual workers yeah. that's really yeah the main way that the workforce in Australia yeah. gets divided um, yeah. so just as an example, um, I had a conversation with a bloke who's employed at a, um, a you know big industrial bakery. I don't know if you even maybe you just call it a bread factory. It's that 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 kind of operation, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, where uh, basically uh, they've got two shifts. Um, one of the shifts is per- is is permanent. One of the shifts is casual. Um, they do the same work. The casual people get paid twenty five percent more wages, and they they have no uh, no permanency, no ben- no uh, sick pay, no um, annual leave, yeah. no, nothing. Um, and, you know, in terms of the, um, the the sort of ultimate dollar amount that these people are taking home, uh, it's, it's basically, they're basically paid evenly. It's basically, they've got parity between the casual and the permanent workforce, but the unionized permanent workforce cannot negotiate EBAs on behalf of the ca- ununionized casuals, right? And so any, it just, the, the real effect is that any agreement uh, can only cover half the workforce. They're effectively divided in terms of their organizing power. Um, and it's, it's impossible to organize. Like it's, It is effectively rendered that workplace permanently divided until the laws around uh, these employment categories change. Mm. Um, so that's a big one, um, casualization. The other big one is labor hire. Um, yeah. And uh, to their credit, uh, although actually not to their credit, I don't know if there's like a really explicit policy yet, but to their credit, um, in their sort of current platform, the the uh, Federal Labor Party is talking about doing something about this. Um, but it's a complete scourge. The practice is that you basically... You sack all of your workers, um, you, and you bring in a labour hire, hire company that then offers them all new contracts on worse wages, right? Yeah. We've seen the same. Like this has happened in, in the ACT here recently with um, uh, the cleaners at the Canberra Centre, right? So they're represented by the United Workers Union. The the centre basically is uh, it's owned and operated by the um, this uh, BIC, I think, it is, or QIC. Queensland Investment
1: Corporation, something like that. It's some, it's some, you know, interstate. Um, uh, yeah. It's also uh, part of the, the part of the scandal is they've also tied up. I understand to some Queensland super funds. Where right, yeah, right, yeah, okay. Well, there <laughs> you go. go. Anyway, I didn't know
0: that. But it's right. basically, what they've done is that yeah, they they brought in a new labour hire yep. um, cleaning firm, um, which has then turned around and said, yeah, 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 no, you can all stay but it's going to be a, you know, um, 10, 20% cut. And we're going to fuck up all of your shifts. Those of you who have caring responsibilities um, that you've already worked out with your current management, you know, for example, like you needing to be home at a certain time or, you know, you can't, can't work overnight or maybe you need to work overnight. Um, Forget all of that. We're, we're rationalizing the roster mm. um, and we're going to basically, you know, squeeze every second that we
1: can out of you and yeah. um, every cent that we can out of you. I mean, yeah, that's yeah, that, that's actually, I think that's really quite telling. That that does lead us to like, I mean, this is the thing. I guess that's why the, the US story is inspiring, uh, considering that they're going from a very low base. Although, you know, one thing when we always look at the US, you always have to remind yourself, we are talking about a country that's what, you know, not far off four hundred million people or something. Yeah. Like it's huge. Mm. Absolutely huge. Uh the numbers and the um geographically it's a massive country as well. So it is it is hard to um the national trends are difficult to, to look at. It's very there is mm. by, its, by it's by it's regional. And yeah, you have to take a with a grain of salt. one. You know, looking at the, the examples of how 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 I guess progressive and left wing and you know industrial movements are, are going over there, and trying to then place it as a as a you know um, how we organise here and the like, because yeah. you know there has been attempts at um, doing that in Australia and some you know yeah, not necessarily good or bad, but you know some some has been pretty disastrous. But I'm just thinking that slipping back to that example of uh, yeah using. Labor hire and um, uh, casual workforces to do the, the divide and rule thing. Mm. Um, there have been a couple of little bits of industrial action going on in Australia, and I know, know some of the punters out in the jackerman in Australia were like, oh, you know, are we seeing you know the revival? They're like, yeah, no. Nah. Like there has been some mm. um, action. There's objectively. There are all the reasons in the world for workers in Australia to really have a crack over their pay and conditions and things going backwards and um, the social contract being just not up to, to you know the 21st century. Absolutely, mm-hmm. you know, whether we're talking about living incomes or you know four day weeks or you know all that sort of stuff. Objectively, there's a lot in in, in there for that reason. That people should revolt. Um, it's the subjective thing I find is what's lacking in terms of the political forces out there that are making that, those interventions into workforces to convince people that that things can be different. Mm. Um, I think what we're sadly seeing is a union bureaucracy that's not terrible in the most part, other than some brave exceptions, not terribly interested or convinced that it's possible to organise industrial power from the workplace. Yeah. Um, there's this obsession with centrally controlled campaigns that are generated by um, surveys, uh, which they then go on out to say, hey, we're talking about fixing this, and then then basically applying a industrial problem as a political strategy mm. to then go and take to like, oh, now we just need to change the laws. Oh, okay, right, how we do that? Oh, well, let's probably oh, affiliate are affiliated to the Labor Party and oh, we'll just try and change the law to Labor. And then when, it, when you get to it, we get this sort of bizarre situation we find ourselves in the Labor movement in the lead up to this election where there are literally unions out there would rather not do any bargaining at all um just waiting um to mm. just throw their money and their resources are all going to go in another round of throwing everything at their next election campaign yeah. in the hope of changing that oh now don't get me wrong the laws have got to be changed and all the rest of sure. it but, but if you're not actually organizing to build power in the workplace to challenge things in the workplace like what are you doing i think basically the sort of configure this is maybe goes back
0: to the, the US comparison as well which is interesting the, the main contrast I would say is that in the US the labour movement has always been the kind of rump of the democratic party mm. um, it's been a component in the democratic party which really comes out of the kind of 19th century industrial aristocracy yeah actually yeah. Yeah. um so the U.S. has always had the two capitalist parties, and um, yeah. um, the, the labor movement has been at the rump of one of them. Yeah. In Australia, it's kind of interesting in that um, the, labor, the labor movement created a political party, um, and then became the rump of its own party. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, but ultimately, it has shaken out in a similar way in the sense that we have a big social democratic party, mm. and the labor movement is a is a component of it, yeah. rather than sort of being its own sort of having its own independent political expression, yeah. right? Um, And that ultimately, Social Democrats, like, what they want is to be able to um, either govern or participate in governments um, in the long term. And what we're talking about in terms of massive fundamental alterations to the industrial relations landscape in Australia are going to be necessarily disruptive if they're successful, right? Right politically unpopular meant for various reasons. And it just means that these two desires to be a sensible um, e- economic management, social democratic type party that sells itself on the basis of kind of pretty milquetoast, liberal social yeah. democratic values and wants to govern in the long term in the interest of both the bourgeoisie and the working class uh, and um, not to forget like the, the international capital configuration that... Mm. Sort of participates in Australian capitalism, yeah, um, and forces Australia and Australian governments of any stripe into these kind of uh, com- competitive battles for um, investment. Like they are saying that they that, that you know those are their constituencies. They're, they're all the constituencies of the Labor Party, right? That's mm. necessarily the case with the Social Democratic Party, yep. really. And so ultimately, I think that there's a there's a contradiction that the union movement needs to reckon with in a way. In general, the way that the unions operate around election time is that they uh, you know they just campaign for the Labour Party um, and they put on their volunteers they will even put on paid staff in many cases um, to just make phone calls you know and just do yeah. just do basically standard um, campaigning where these union members and union organisers union staff are uh, really like folded into the the political identity of the Labour Party and its its volunteers and its voters right yeah
1: or its or its third party campaigning yeah.
0: and so there's not there's not really you know a, a, it's good thing it's a good it's a good thing that the the movement and and to to some limited extent uh, union members have a seat at the table in mm. terms of the labour conference and the labour party's Kind of deliberations, but they have very little leverage over the party's direction. In the sense that they, they don't, they don't leverage an independent identity against the party um, and leverage their place within the party because it's taken for granted. You know, hmm. um, the the support of the the movement support for the party is is generally um, taken for granted, much in the same ways with the US. Because, uh, you know, what are you going to shop elsewhere?
1: No. Yeah, there's uh, there's certainly that going on. The U.S. example, I guess, puts it out there that we don't have to accept yep. um, people, you know, essential workers don't actually have to. Why, why should they accept? Say in the retail sector, for example, um, a completely top-down rubbish that the SDA sells its, um, it sells its, you know. Um, blackmailed membership. I mm-hmm. mean, that's one practical example there. I think it'll be interesting to watch this space mm-hmm. there. Um, essential workers in aged care in Australia, it would be interesting to see if the, um, the the workers, the unions in that space actually pull the finger out and do something, mm-hmm. like the time is, is really, you know, they've objectively got the best situation they've ever, you know. They obviously need, there's a huge need to change system. They just spend millions on a royal commission. Mm-hmm. And one of those things glaring in the Royal Commission is actually not talking about fixing pay, yeah?
0: Yeah. So there's, those, there's all those no. things there. The Labor Party doesn't have you know, a position on this, by the way, apart mm. from supporting all the Royal Commission um, recommendations. Yeah. Uh, I think they probably will have something concrete by the mm. election, but yeah. they should be talking about wholesale nationalisation yeah, yeah. the absolutely. aged care sector. Oh, it's it's, it's been completely fucked up yeah. by private capital it's and, yeah. and by its, you know, its management practices. Yeah. And that's really, it's quite, it's quite simple. It's quite obvious. Yeah. You, if you look at the uh, um, you know, recommendations of the Royal Commission and some of the evidence given, it's, the whole thing is a testament to the, the absolute degradation that wholesale neoliberalism yeah. um, can affect on a sector like that
1: and look and it's only going to get worse yep. like they'll they'll make these changes and some of the changes the workforce stuff it's like oh yeah more more continuity and training well that's terribly interesting but if you're <laughs> if you're not actually going to rate give someone a living wage like oh you're going to train them but you're not going to pay them you mm. know like you've got someone who's looking after vulnerable people um getting paid like twenty dollars twenty one dollars sixty eight an hour um you know uh, the last stat I saw, you need to be paid at least 20, a little over $25 to get a living wage yep. in, this, in Australia. It's a disgrace. Yep. So there's a lot on our, our wonderful union bosses who love beating their chests about how great they are and how much they care while sitting on, you know, where superannuation boards or having their holidays or whatever, uh, going to attending conferences and. all the rest like where's the outcomes people like Mm. you know where's where's the where's the big pay rises where's the breaker because you're not leading it they're not doing industrial action they're Mm. certainly not even fighting like it's it's just it's pathetic so there needs to be some big change there i think and then last point i want to make Mm -hmm. though it's the work work choices stuff like you know the fact that there's still people in the labor movement who want to wheel out work choices as an organising thing for us now. It's like work, the campaign at Work work's Choices happened like over 20 years ago. Yeah. Like I was doing it's it not, like everyone like right else. I'm, them I'm an older false. person. Yeah. But, you know, like it's like it's been 20 years. There are people who've grown up wouldn't no, know the first yeah. thing about what, But yeah. it, that was wheeled out by ACTU propaganda yeah. um, uh, quite recently. They're yeah. banging on about work choice. And Tony Abbott and the uh, Institute mm-hmm. of Public Affairs is like, wow, come on, man. Like, you're doing this 10 years ago <laughs> and was a failure. Like, yeah. Where's the actual talking about building workplace power? Where's your transformative Well, not only agenda, that is that the, they did Nothing. it. They campaigned against it in
0: 2007. Yeah. And then the, like the Rudd-Gillard governments didn't actually adequately...
1: Fix the fucking system, and that's the that's the point, isn't it? Yeah, you don't ask. You, so you, now you're telling us, yeah. oh, we've
0: got to vote, you know, vote yeah. Labor because of work choices. Yeah. It's like, well, we did. Yeah, it's and like 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 I've still got EBAs.
1: I've said it in the past, it's like Labor, like federal Labor, is like basically having that. Du- Dodgy bloody uh, housemate that you might have lived with at one point <laughs> who needs 20 bucks, right? And he's hassling you for 20 bucks, and oh, mate, I'm really good for it. Um, I mean, the fact is, if you want to see that 20 bucks again, you're going to have to stand on their neck, right? That's what federal <laughs> Labour is yeah. like. Like the, par- the federal parliamentary party and the federal parliamentary structure is so broken that if late- the unions have a seat at the table, the only way you're going to see what you want, union boss is to actually have the power behind you to enforce what you want mm-hmm. now they are in cloud fantasy land that they actually think well i don't even know why they bother pretending they can threat because the parliamentary federal parliamentary party knows that i'll never deliver you know is there going to be a strike wave in australia with an albanese government when it turns out the albanese elected government's not going to change the workplace yeah. laws in any meaningful yes. way oh and that's right you haven't actually gone and organizing in the workplace on the, on the basis of saying, hey, the laws are crap, let's challenge it, and let's use whatever tools we can and build a consciousness that there needs to be a fight, and we need to also take it to a change of government yep. and make sure they deliver. None of that's going on, because mm. they walk, well, they've walked away from it. Um, but what I'll say is positive to end mm-hmm. on. Join your union, be involved in it, but also take no truck with um, so-called elected leaders, because let's face it, um, I think i saw a stat something like only 15 percent of union elections are actually contested in this country right it's pathetic you need to get involved and and, and change um, those union leaders and participate in your union as best you can but also i think right now in this space probably just as much space to actually be politically involved join the labor party join the greens whatever get out there and do it because certainly that general those generations currently running the show aren't interested in actually a transformative agenda it needs to change there needs to be a political fight about it so in Canberra we know what we need to do and you can be a part of it Uh, listen to this show subscribe to this show and we'll probably be talking more and more about the politics of the grassroots of rank and file organising and um, having a say and having democracy over a a, a better world Mm -hmm. yep
0: here's my last word before we maybe take a break and then come back with a little bit more for the end of the show uh Uh, We've got toll workers, employees of toll, um, including at Kmart's largest distribution center, striking indefinitely over pay rises. They were offered a paltry 2.5 at max, and some of the lower grade workers were offered only 2.25%, which I'm sure would not even cover inflation for the duration of their previous uh, contracts. Um, so they're striking, demanding eight. So um, that's really good to see, and it's an essential part of the, the like supply chain as well. So yeah, it's yeah. really good to see um, logistics workers taking the fight to their employers. Um, and you know, that's
1: fantastic. Yeah,
0: yeah, they can be subjected to really like uh, really bad swings in their paying conditions because yeah. basically because of you know yeah. a faint, a labor hire practices. Um, and in these cases, you have um, a lot of people there who were originally back in the '90s employed directly by Kmart working in their warehouses, driving trucks and things. Um, all of that outsourced to companies like Toll. Uh, and some of them haven't even... The pay cuts that they took right at the time, they would have been on sort of low 30s. Yeah. And their union, um, good union negotiated uh, pay rates um, took pay cuts right down to about $20, $25 an hour.
1: Yeah,
0: um, Even lower in some cases. I th- think someone th- in this article in the... Um, financial review um, they cite one person who went from um, $32 something down to 17 Those, some of those workers still and that's 20 years ago still have, haven't seen their wages back up to parity with what they were at before their jobs were outsourced Yeah, Yeah, so it's completely fucked. Um, Really good to see them fighting back against that. On that note, we might take a break. Um, We'll be right back. Cool, cool. Hey, guys, it's Jacob coming to you once again from the slightly more recent past because toll distribution centre workers have emerged victorious after just two days on strike after their bosses made a feeble attempt to smear them as the Grinch that stole Christmas, they've come back um, and worked out an agreement that includes a 3% pay increase each year for three years, more than 100 new permanent jobs, improved union rights, trading rights, Uh, increased redundancy and a guarantee that if workers are moved to a new toll distribution center their wages and redundancy provisions will be maintained so there you go another way that um, workers are fighting back against the division of our workforce Um, you know in logistics you see lots of this um, different rates across um, different work sites even under the same company um, and even more commonly um, between different companies that serve the same retailers so It's a perfect example of why any political party that would like to enjoy the support of the union movement uh, into the future, the next time it's in government, needs to look at introducing um, industry-wide bargaining. Congratulations to the uh, UWU members involved in that action. And I'd like to just read you a tweet from one of those members uh, who published this the day after those negotiations were concluded, she said so the negotiations were held after midnight last night for hours and the delegates were relentless and the suit who was holding the meeting apparently broke down crying and said quote you win. Ha! Again congratulations to those members uh, we'd love to see it. Okay we're back after a quick little break there. Uh, when we left off we were just sort of talking about the some of the legal constraints on the movement um, and how, how difficult those are making it at the moment to really organise a kind of mass um strike movement similar to what we're seeing in the us at the moment but are there cases in history where the labor movement has been able to use these kinds of legal constraints in its you know in its own favor to sort of prosecute these political arguments
1: oh while i was drinking my peppermint tea (laughs) i was thinking jacob that it wasn't that long ago uh in the lead up to the 2007 election uh, that very hated work choices which was the set of um anti-union anti-worker laws that were used by the howard government um that movement part of challenging it was was actually also not just politically in terms of third party campaigning saying oh you know just put the liberals last right that was part of it but really at the tip of it uh was the illegal industrial action that was going on and that was something um doesn't get talked about enough and i know a lot of people were disappointed when when the labor movements leadership um flipped from uh the massive demos they, they, they were regularly uh over a period of time in the lead up to 2007 and those those years just before hundreds of thousands of workers took part in huge rallies so they incredibly massive ones in melbourne uh tens of thousands in all sorts of places you know small regional towns would have turnouts of thousand people you know um you know a town of six you know if you have a town of sixteen 1,000 people and a 1,000 people turn up to a union demo. Like, you know, you know you're having problems, yeah? Um, but also part of that, there were workforces and industries that people took illegal industrial action. They said, yeah, fine us. Go for it, mm-hmm. you know? And funnily enough, like, even more often than not, a lot of the employers weren't prepared to actually go and probably go after them for for the fines. So much so I remember at the time that the the government at the time was screaming at some of the employees to actually go and, prosec- you know, yeah. uh, to launch prosecutions, right. know, particularly in the construction industry, for example. Um there's that one. The the more classic historical example, I think, in terms of like if you want to get rid of a political problem, look to the workplace rather than to the rather than just putting all your, your um your, your balls in the, the ballot basket. Books, yeah. yeah. Yep. Is is the, the the case of Clary O'Shea, who was a, a, a union official for uh the tram tram workers union mm-hmm. down in Victoria back in the back in the day, 969. So 52 years ago, um it was a pretty amazing event, so it sort of happened. The anti-union laws at the time were called the penal power. Um, it was the penal powers. Anyway, that set of anti-union laws were crushed, never used again um, by any government, and they were gotten rid of. And effectively, it was all because uh, the tram union decided that, now nah, we're not gonna pay fines for having taken industrial action and there's a few other things involved they just refused to pay their fines the unions used to get fined for all sorts of things um, back in the day and after like let's just say it wasn't it just a flash in the pan after many years of slow methodical organizing in workplaces the fact that those unions had uh, really strong membership had active um you know delegates committees and shop stewards and all the rest of it, um, that you had people in positions that had some politics, that knew what they were were on about, what they were trying to achieve, meant that when Clary was basically, you know, okay, fine, lock me up, uh, he became... Uh, you know a focal point for right. uh, you know eventually it was an unofficial strike national strike that had hit a ho- whole range of industries all around the country and huge lasted, demonstrations huge in Melbourne demonstration, only right. lasted a couple of weeks and oh funnily enough some bloke came along and paid Clary's fine mm-hmm. who a lot of historians say was you know employee of the of the, the Australian Intelligence Service Organisation ASIO <laughs> so that's that's how the folklore goes but like it's always it gets brought up you know every now and then sort of just like why can't we look to building a, um, a politically challenged things mm. through workplace power? Yeah, not just putting all our eggs into one basket. And I think, uh, as much as I you, know, I, you know, I despair at both in both parts of the. You know, you need both legs to walk. You yep. know, the union and the and the party stuff, yep. the Labor Party. Um, they're both sides of struggle. You can bring one to the other. Yep. You don't have to. Yeah, in know, both directions, yeah, but you know, go in completely different directions. But yeah, I think I think that's something there mm. in in that to, to sort of consider. If people say, "Well, how would you do it differently, Ben? If we don't just yeah throw our you know, if we can't." just... So what it really off, comes yeah. down to then yeah. is being yeah.
0: prepared to do something like take a bit of time out in terms of like prison term or um, or like significant fines. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's true that like there are union officials who who, who wear. Big fines, and of course, um, as they should, our, our unions, we, mm. the, the membership, will pay them. Yeah, because it's actually an attempt by uh, capital and its managers and the governments to impose, you know, individual punishments, um, which disincentivize collective action. Right. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, um, it's like we need people who to be in the movement to be to be willing to to, to wear those at least in the short term, um, because they can become really important symbolic. Uh, causes and material causes um, to rally around, yep. and you know, like of course, we all remember um, when Sally McManus first came in as yep. um, secretary of the ACTU. Uh, she went on seven thirty with yep. Lee Sales, and it was awesome. It was really good. Everyone was very impressed. She talked a very big game about uh, the right of unions to break the law when the law is unjust, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but the ACTU has done nothing to lead um, any. Um, action that would really challenge the current industrial relations regime in any way—that hasn't happened. So, unfortunately, not much more than a successful uh, sort of job interview for Sally when she—well, well, she already had the job, but she, you know, a way to pitch herself to the more militant rank and file mm-hmm. and um, observers who come from further left and who want to see a more militant labour movement. Um, but if the ACTU is going to sort of sit at the head of the labor movement and direct it from the top down, you're never going to see uh, that kind of action um, pushed from the top down. It's got to come from the bottom up, and which is the case, right, with Clary O'Shea, mm. was that you, that was rank and file members uh, as well as organizers um, within the union from, who were mm. communists. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, really organising that uh, yeah, and, and it, it went it, from the bottom up. Yeah, that's time and part of the, the 69 uh, events, there were times when the unions were completely at a lockstep with the ACTU. Like, you know, mm. And I think it, it, it there was probably more of a, a organic link between the, the peak representative bodies at, at that time. Uh, it's different now. Um, you look at the peak representative bodies for um, the union bureau- bureaucracy now, like when you've got unions that have barely had, had contested elections for years... Um, and, and they're quite happy to have it that way. You know, it's just... You know, it's kind of quite disgraceful, really, really disingenuous um, mm-hmm. to have union um, so-called elected leaders who revel in the fact that no one's ever, you know, stood against them. Oh, really, that's that's great. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not necessarily an in- vote of endorsement, is it? Or that you have, um, you know... Oh, I just... I don't know. I, I won't talk about some of the more shocking results I've read, but it's just like, i oh, go back yeah. to it. But, yeah, I, th- I think... Um, it's very sad the way it's panned out now because we're back... The ACTU's email campaign that's sort of going on, I don't know why they hit me up for 65 bucks. why that specific number, but it's happened a number of times now. Uh, they, they want me to hand over 65 duck bucks for some ads, right? Yeah. Um, that's interesting, but I think it's sort of... It's, it's symbolic of uh, hands are so far tied, Sally's hands are tied, by a pack of cowardly individuals... Right. Who have their own little sectional mm. interests? Who effectively, if there's a house on fire and that's the union movement in this country, they've got their own little room in that house and they could not give a rat's mm. ass about putting the fire out. They're only yeah. interested in their little corner. Yeah. And while at the same time they're all playing a game as to who gets to be the person to, um, you know, go and say, hey, it's all terrible. Yeah. Um, or who gets to be the person to go and get, leave the house and get their, get their ass on lever, as the yeah. old um, expression hmm. goes, which is getting elected to parliament. Yeah, so yeah. there needs to be fundamental but work. The whole parliament. many union <laughs> leaders need to be turfed out and they need to bring in new people. It's time to move on. Hmm. If you can't actually go and fight for, and make a real difference, get out. Um, it's, it's just pathetic. Um,
0: and also with these media with these sort of the big top-down campaigns uh, we saw it with um, Change the Rules a completely inscrutable completely unsuccessful campaign right Um, didn't achieve anything that it set out to great ideas I suppose they weren't very well articulated and if you I mean if you the the Obvious question is yeah. uh, which rules and why? It, yeah. you, we wouldn't get a straight answer, right? But uh, the point is yeah, that yeah. Uh, in those cases, when that happens, the only yeah. people that win are the media companies that sell you the ad space.
1: That's, yeah. that's yeah. what happens. But, but that also goes back to my last point as well, Jacob, is that like, the ACTU is this, this amalgam of warring brothers and sisters. Mm. And this is what you get. You get they, they would go to ask Sally, with like, look, we want you to go and run this. We want you to run out our campaign. Right? And we want you to get try to get a message that something is going to encapsulate things that are happening all around the country. And while that's going on, you got blue-collar unions or big service unions like the SDA or you might have a CF sort of, yeah, just come in and say, oh, no, no, we don't like that. You need to run something on this. You know, at one point another, they came up with some stuff which sort of really like made people uncomfortable about um, the Chinese, for some bizarre reason, at one point, but there's just really mm. strange sort of interventions that go on. It's it's not the the ACT, you you got to remember, peak, peak representative body doesn't actually have members, mm-hmm. and if those affiliate members don't actually play the game of saying, sure, you can have our membership list and you can have our information, and sure, you know, yeah. well, you know, well, you fail, and that's that's what we're seeing yep. for, for years now as a complete disconnection between peak representative campaigns that are completely, you know, they're watered down, watered down. And then you've got these bizarre, even no campaign, because like you said, they just employ their, their union staff to just directly go run Labour Party campaigns. Mm-hmm. Or you've got dodgy third party campaigns where they say sort of silly stuff about, oh, you know, just just vote how you feel. Just put the Liberals last. And it's yeah. like, that's terribly interesting, mate. But, you know... It's really not really play, anything. Play, play the real game. And the real yeah. game is, you know, um, if you're going to electorally... Be, in, be involved in it pick a party and do it properly be in it or uh, while at the same time be involved in if you're a union be involved build power in your workplace yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Mm. well you've been listening to dole capital with Ben and Jacob hope you've enjoyed the show we'll be back soon with more funds we've got lots of lots of plans for this coming summer, yeah. so yeah. Um, subscribe like listen share and uh, um, why not become a financial supporter uh, if you want to do a bit more than that? Yeah. We're at Patreon, that's patreo com forward slash dole Capital, that's D-O-H-K-A-P-I-T-A-L. Mm. And if you're wondering, well, where's my
0: money going to be going? Uh, currently, we're operating with a uh, two-input um, audio interface. Um, what I would love to do is um, save up some Patreon money and uh, put it towards a new interface with three or four inputs so that when we have guests on the show, we don't have to share microphones with them. Um, that would be probably the next thing that we're going to spend a bit of money on. So uh, it's a good cause. Uh, it only helps the production of the show uh, and we really appreciate it. It Absolutely. helps us do what we what we do. Um, that's all we've got for you. Thank, thank you for joining us. Yeah, Thank you. See you next time.
1: Bye.